Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder, founder and CEO of Dallas-based consulting firm Louder Co. There's so many great people innovating in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This podcast aims to highlight them, the amazing things they're doing, and get behind the scenes on their approach and on them personally. At my company, Louder Co., we're the innovation specialists business leaders turn to when their organization must perform better. Artificial intelligence, business transformation, and venture building projects are usually very stressful. Not with us. We believe your business will soon begin losing without an AI strategy. We create AI strategies to accelerate operations and create revolutionary new technology products. We do that because we're tired of seeing businesses that keep letting bad operations kill their growth. Through change initiatives like creating innovation hubs, improving processes, and instilling technologies, we transform companies to perform better and grow faster. Our gift to you for listening is access to our free Intro to Artificial Intelligence Guide. We hit on what is AI, where is it going, and how to get it into your business. Get that free guide at louderco.com slash intro to AI. We look forward to serving you. Visit us at louderco.com for more information, insightful content, and ways to schedule our first conversation. Thank you for listening and on to our show. All right. Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovator Show presented by Louderco. I'm Andrew Louder. I've got an extra special guest here today. I, you know, when I first envisioned doing Dallas Space Innovators, I really I envisioned somebody, uh, you know, a, a key innovator here locally. But I think I didn't know it at the time. But I pictured our our guest right now, Michael Engel. Um, he is an entrepreneur. He has four different companies that he has started and and is the CEO of. Uh, Quick Set Concrete, Ready Set Pour, Clean Sleep, which was on Shark Tank. And a new one called Slumber. And you know, almost just as importantly, he's also on the board of the Children's Advocacy Center. And he just has an amazing story of resilience, perseverance, ingenuity. And I'm so incredibly excited to have you on the show, Michael. Welcome. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. You bet. So um, you know, generally speaking, we like to start things off with just a quick one to two minute bio. Uh, tell us a bit more about yourself, your some key accomplishments, your community involvement, things like that. Get us kickstarted. Sure. So really Michael Engel is a guy who um, had a pretty rough childhood and uh, was a little lost and, you know, was fortunate at the age of 14 to realize, like, it was up to me to determine my, you know, capacity in my education, in my financial stability, in my career, my education, in my family, in my choices, morals, values, all of those things. And so I can vividly remember the specific um, look and location of where I was when I was staring out the window of a Greyhound bus um, headed to Dallas, Texas when I ran away. And uh, at that point is, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times, but I realized that no one else truly is going to be there when you need them. Um, You have to rely on, you know, your own intuition, your own decisions, um, truly, um, if you're going to do anything and and become anything. And so 
there was two types of people in this world at that time is what I thought. And so there's either people that watch things happen or people that make things happen. And I didn't just want to be somebody that was going to watch things happen. So um, ended up in Dallas, uh, looked up some family members, long story short, ended up in Denton, went to high school there, and really found a niche in being able to build things with my hands, create things, figure out how things work. Um, you know, most kids, especially boys, are good at breaking things, but <laughs> yeah, I was able to also fix things. So um, <laughs> That's you know, the part that I, I don't have. I, I'm good at breaking things, just not really <laughs> fixing them. Yeah, and so um, really connected with one of my teachers who's a dear friend and a mentor and actually has supported us in our R&D engineering for many years, Lawrence McClendon. And so when I realized that I could, you know, take some classes in high school, that would allow me to rebuild, you know, small engines and uh, work with pneumatics and electronics and hydraulics and, you know, a little bit of trig, a little bit of algebra, physics. It's like, man, this is really cool. And so I ended up um, becoming the president of the engineering and technology club in high school. Oh, nice. We, you know, would build robots to perform certain functions. Um and compete against other schools. And so that was really fun. And I was passionate about uh, those types of things and going to competition and taking us to state and nationals. And so that was a lot of fun. And through that um, whole junior and senior year, I actually got accepted to a paid internship program and worked for Boeing Aerospace and Defense. And so, again, more of an opportunity to figure out how things work, um, come up with ideas, think outside the box and help in, you know, a little bit of engineering and manufacturing capacity. And so did that and got picked up by a combustion engineering company out of high school and worked for them for five and a half years designing burners and cogen power plants, fuel skids and things like that for nuclear plants and all that. And so did a lot of AutoCAD and SolidWorks. And that's what really, I think, put me in the position to be able to go out there and... Um, start my first company and I was getting all my work done in about 20 hours a week and was literally bored and so in 2003 2004 I literally thought I had surfed the entire internet and there was nothing left <laughs> I feel like I've had that feeling before yeah and so now um there's so much out there, but I, I literally realized then that the world is at your fingertips. If you're smart enough to Google it, right, then you can figure anything out. And so, you know, started my first business, which was a bar, and had a great time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I, did I hear it was like a uh, a volleyball uh, style outdoor bar? Yes, that's cool. So we had six beach sand volleyball courts and pool tables, outdoor stage, and it was just a really cool, fun place. But it was up in Denton on the northeast side, and that part of the city hadn't really been developed yet. And When I wrote the business plan, I knew that wintertime was going to be slow and it was going to be tough, and at that time we had some partners and just got to where we were kind of butting heads on the operations. And, you know, knowing what I know now, we were missing numbers by, like, three and four and five percent, not by much, not much at yeah. all. And it was a big deal. And so we, you know, me and my partner, Kevin, said, okay, you guys give it a shot, then see what happens. And of course that thing didn't work out, but I learned so much from that. I learned about 
writing a business plan and SBA lending and banking and real estate and P&Ls and managing people, mismanaging money and mismanaging people. And so took that and was flat broke. So I had to figure out how I was going to pay my mortgage and um, ended up meeting up with a friend and he had basically run this guy's concrete company. I said, well, I think I've got the business side of things down now, if you can handle the, the field. And I took off, and that was my first venture, was Quickset Concrete. Yeah. So from there, well, I think I'm kind of leading on into the story. You're going to do some editing. <laughs> well, so. let's do this. How about this? Uh, give us like the just a, a brief description, a one or two liner for each of your companies. So let's start with, you mentioned uh, Quickset Concrete. Tell sure. us just a one-liner on that. What is that? Sure. So Quickset Concrete is a commercial construction company, and we do uh, heavy civil dirt work, um, some utilities, um, and structural concrete, anything concrete we Got can it. tackle. Okay, the next one, Ready, Set, Pour. So Ready, Set, Pour is a virtual batch plant and a platform that connects anybody in the concrete industry. I, I heard about that one. I, I want to dig into that a bit later. That's a really cool one, I think. Well, they are all cool, but let's. Uh, if yeah, we have sure. to pick one, let's pick, maybe start there. But uh, clean sleep. So clean sleep was um, an idea that I had because of a situation where I fell asleep on my mattress with my sheets in the washer. Still had to go to the dryer, and I'm like, "There's got to be a way for me to clean my mattress." When I realized there wasn't, I spent the next four years developing technology and took it to market in 2014. That's really cool. And then slumber. So slumber was a pivot. Um, that was created from a problem we didn't know existed, but this huge research of, um, bed in a box companies, mm-hmm. um, is amazing and great and it's easy and convenient. But the, the reality is anybody that doesn't want that mattress, um, gets their money back, which is amazing. It's great. Right. But every single mattress that gets returned gets discarded into a landfill. Yeah. A very small, probably less than 5% gets donated. And so um, we created this company to solve that problem. Yeah. I've had the good fortune of visiting your office. And um, you know it's a fairly new space. And you have a huge open area full of mattresses. And I just envision all of those going into a landfill. That's just, it takes up so much room. And so I'm so glad you're turning these around, recycling them essentially. Um, so it's a, a really... Um, cool idea and kind of along the lines of cool ideas as you keep I know you started with quick set concrete uh, at, for that industry for that focus very innovative ready set poor has an innovative way of kind of connecting people through technology right and then clean sleep also very innovative coming up with this technology to clean mattresses in a convenient way for consumers and and everybody you're selling to and then slumber again looking at a problem, solving it um, in an innovative way. How do these ideas come to you, and how do you know which ones to pursue? Sure. So I feel like most of my ideas come to me um, when I'm analyzing something um, that's right in front of me. And so I always think outside the box with everything I do everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 
I'm not looking any at anything like anybody else does. And right. I think that's what gives me the ability um, to try and come up with a solution for a problem. And so um, that's that's the biggest thing, I think, is, you know, a lot of people are solving maybe the wrong problems right. and not the right problems. And when you find a, a big problem and you find a solution to it, I think that's really what um, allows you to be successful. Yeah. So for me, the ideas come most of the time when I'm in front of the problem. And sometimes yeah. they wake me up in the middle of the night. Right. And, and so that kind of g- gets into one thing I wanted to ask was, do you find yourself innovating kind of based on like a, a problem solution type of approach? Or is it really just like, you know, you, you see opportunities and you go after them? And it, it probably varies quite a bit, but, you know, how, where do you feel most comfortable um, coming up with these things? Sure. So I analyze everything when... Or I analyze everything with a few key um, yeah. importances or kind of principles, right? Principles. Yeah. So you have to look at how big the problem is, how big the market opportunity is, mm-hmm. how many people are in that space or companies are in that space, um, and then what's my barrier to entry. So I definitely don't pick the easy right. yeah. <laughs> problems to solve because I think everybody's doing those. Um, and I love uncharted territory. So uh, if I can have the opportunity to become first to market, right. um, that's really what I – and it also depends on what I have and typically most of the time don't have in my bank yeah. account to start something. <laughs> I think it takes a lot of guts too. I have no doubt you have a lot of guts. Uh but when you come up with these ideas, you know, who do you usually turn to first to, I know, hey, man, I've got this crazy idea, or hey, you should hear me out on this. You know, who do you turn to for those things? Sure. So early on, it's always been my mentor, you know, Lawrence McClendon. He um, is a very, very smart man. He is not just a teacher, but he's an investor. He's a farmer. He's a landlord. He's a businessman. Um, but he's very, very frugal. And so if I can, yeah, get him to turn his ear and pay attention <laughs> to me. Um, I feel like I've got something good. Yeah, and so uh, I've always started off bouncing ideas off of his head, and you know now I'm blessed to have an amazing team. Right, and they think like I think, they work like I work, and so it's nice to be able to share, um, you know, some of these things with them. But I really typically take because I have several more ideas, <laughs> but sure, I just. Yeah take the ones that I'm the most excited about that I feel like can do the best. And there's a handful of people now um, that I've met since I launched a few of my other companies that I can also bounce some ideas off of and get yeah. some feedback. So Now, take us a bit behind the, the curtain here. How many ideas do you throw out to the team that they tell you, no way in hell we're not doing this? Or to, <laughs> you know, to, to your mentor? Um. You know, there's probably about half. I think I solve problems while I'm in a problem. Yeah. And so it's tough for me to stay focused. And so a lot of people tell you, like, you need to stay focused. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I just be me. And so I know that I can't stay focused. And so that's why I have to bring in the team players that can stay focused. So, um, you know, I feel like I'm definitely the idea monkey. And then I've got to have a ringmaster. And so... Um, my team does a pretty good job of kind of keeping me at, yeah. you know, putting the brakes on a little bit and steering yeah. me in the right direction. And how, how did you go about 
bringing that team together, finding those people, you know, how do you, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, I think it, it takes a lot of trust in the people you're bringing into your circle. How do you let them in? How do you know? Right. And that's very important, right, is, is trust. Um, one of the biggest, I think, problems I had as a kid growing up is I didn't have the trust of mm-hmm. my family. Mm-hmm. And so I found the trust in my friends. And then along the way is realized that it's very important to build relationships with everyone. Everybody that walks down the street and they cross your path, right, wrong, or indifferent, there's value. Yep. There's value in whether they're like you, whether they're not like you, whether you don't know them, but there's a reason why everybody cross paths. And I think you just have to take everything that you can out of that. And so in my construction career, I was fortunate to meet Cedric Montgomery, who worked really well with me. We worked hand in hand. He was really thorough. We paid attention. He paid attention to um, caring about a subcontractor when most general contractors you don't have that kind of relationship. Right. It's rather, um, I mean, there's a lot of headbutting there, right, usually? Typically, yeah. And so we worked really well together, and so I knew um, that I liked working with him. And so when Clean Sleep was ready to go to market, he's the guy I brought in for that. Yeah. Um, ready, set, poor, the same thing. I've got Brent Brewster, who's basically been my best friend since we were 15. Nice. Um, and he's worked with us before, and I knew that he could, you know, come in and tackle managing this big project for me, this idea, and putting it from my head to paper and and executing on it. And so that's it. I've really kind of courted and cultivated relationships, and that's how I determine whether or not I'm able to bring somebody in and and work with somebody and trust somebody. And so that's just it. As, As a business owner, there's a lot of stress, whether it's operations, personnel, finance, um, you know, all of those things are stressful, yeah. but the most stressful to me is, is knowing whether or not my team has my back. And mm-hmm. so every night that I go to sleep, all the stress of everything else set aside, I have comfort in knowing that there's not a dollar being misappropriated. No mm-hmm. one's got any ill will. There's no, um, you know, bad intention. And so at the end of the day, they see just what I see and they know that they can trust me because I take care of them first. And so that's what's really important to me. And so I think you've got to be able to to do that. And you also have to be really humble. I think that, um, and I've talked about this a few times, but your team is what makes things happen. You can't do anything on your own. And so um, I've just paid attention every day, all day long, to the people that I feel like I can bring into my circle and that would help me in certain capacities. And so I've always got all my ideas in in the back of my head or sitting on my shoulder. So when I meet somebody, I'm like, okay, how can I gain value from who they are and their experience and their grid? And and, and that's, I guess, really kind of what helps me make my decision on who I decide to work with. Along the lines of teams, did you um, play sports when you were a kid? I played... Football in the seventh grade for the first six weeks till I got kicked out for my grade. So, <laughs> um, and I worked. Um, yeah. My uncle had a food processing plant. I'd ride my bike over there, work for four hours, and go home. So I didn't have a lot of experience yeah. as a 
team in sports, but I was also on the, the engineering team. So that was yeah. a little bit of a you know team playing environment right. and competitive. That's cool. So then, okay, you've got your, your businesses, you've got your team. What's a day in the life like for you? I'm a sure roller it, coaster ride. Yeah, it's yeah. literally a roller yeah. coaster ride. So the good and the bad of, you know, having multiple um, companies the phone rings and it's a problem, but then, you know, you get an email and it's something amazing. And then all of a sudden you get a text message and it's another problem. So it's yeah. highs and lows. And when you're an entrepreneur, the highs are really high and the lows can be really low. So I love diversity. I love stress. Like a lot of people think stress is, is bad for you, but stress can actually be good for you. It's like training of your your entire body, just like working out or dieting, right? right? Um, If you train your your brain, because stress is all mental. And so um, as an entrepreneur, I think what you're doing is solving problems and you're overcoming challenges. So once you get past that and you accept that that's the lifestyle that you've chose, um, then you're okay with it. You don't worry about as much as probably most people do. You know, from kind of my personal experience with stress, before going out on my own, starting a business, the stress I would feel is the stress placed on my superiors or the other the company I was working for. But then once I went out and started Louder Co, it was a different kind of stress. It's my own stress. And I feel like it's a much healthier, happier type of stress. I don't know if you, you know what I'm talking about here, but but um, I think it's it's a stress that comes with just owning your own thing and wanting to be successful and wanting to you know, make the right decisions, that sort of thing. Um, so for me, I feel like I, to a degree, I know what you're talking about. I don't have four businesses, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we were talking yet. yet, not yet, right? Not yet. Thank you for correcting me on that. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, off the air, we were talking a bit about those ups and downs, right? Um, I think a lot of people view entrepreneurship as a straight line or even like a, you know, um, all of a sudden you're, you're that overnight success. Like, take us back to like some of the the doldrums, right, of just like, I mean, all these businesses. This is why at the beginning of the show I said it's a story of uh, resilience, perseverance, because you don't get to four businesses just at the snap of a finger. I mean, there's so much you've got to battle through. You know, what What are some of those things that, you know, you can hit on and really maybe talk about with us here about, you know, the struggles of entrepreneurship? Sure, yeah. So my mindset is is that if you said, all right, Andrew, we've got to travel 1,700 miles across the ocean uh, we've got a boat that holds 12 people, and we've only got enough gas to get halfway there and enough food for a week. Right. I would I would say, okay, I'm going to need 20 people, and we'll use the wind, and we'll fish for the rest of our food, and we're going to go after it. And, like, I don't have to have the perfect setup for me to, to jump off the cliff and, yeah. and take that journey. Um, I'm okay with that, and I actually prefer that. And so <clears> – <throat> That's, I think, what um, allows me to persevere and get through the struggles. So, I mean, as an entrepreneur, it's tough. You're raising money because you don't have it. That's the reality is, you know, when you're sitting down in front of investors, for the most part, 
nobody really talks about those things. But the reality is you've probably already depleted your own money, any savings. Um, you don't have a paycheck. You're probably not on payroll. The bank has told you no several times. Yeah. And you don't know where you're going to get the money to keep pursuing your dream unless you can con convince others. And so you have to be willing to hit rock bottom and not be afraid of it. Um, at the end of the day, it's learning from your failures right. and not, um, you know, being able to get back up when you're when you're knocked down. Yeah. And so um, the struggles for me, they're still here today. Um, you know, I started my fourth company and I still don't have the banking and the backing for my third idea. It's still not to cash flow yeah. positive yet, but, um, for me, the burning desire to, to pivot and solve this next problem is greater than me worrying about figuring out how to, how to make that third company work. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, again, it's about the team, right? Putting the right people in place to help me get there. Um, I don't want to wait to solve a problem or to start an idea or a company until everything's perfect because by then somebody else will right. have already done it. Right. If we go back to the bar situation, you, know, you mentioned just didn't work out. I think a lot of people would have looked at that and said, man, I'm a failure. You know, I can't do anything and just kind of regroup, like just go a different path entirely. And what kept you going as an entrepreneur? Sure. So I, even that, I look at that different, right? Yeah. I consider that cost me 80 grand. Mm -hmm. And so I consider that tuition money. Yeah. It cost me 80 grand to learn what I learned and move on, right? Um, as a football player, you lose a game and you don't quit. You don't not go back to play the game next Friday night or, you know, on Sunday for the NFL, when you lose and you lose and you lose again, you have to have the tenacity and grit to know that next time it can be different. And if I took the mistakes I made and learn from them and don't make them again, you know, you're only setting yeah. yourself up for more and more success. The average entrepreneur fails seven times. I did not know that. Before statistic. they make it. Yeah. And I, when I was um, kind of Checking out your, uh, I guess, doing the research for the show, you shared a quote that I want to either get tattooed on my back or, <laughs> or maybe just put in a pretty frame and put into my study. You said there are two types of people in this world: the those that watch things happen and those that make things happen. Um, no doubt you're on the make things happen side, right? But like, did you know that you were always on that make things happen side? Did you find yourself, at, even at a young age, or did you have to kind of go down a path and find it for yourself? Um, I definitely had to find it for myself. Um, I was really kind of faced with a lot of responsibilities um, at a young age, and I think I used that to empower myself instead of use it as a crutch, right? I mean, everybody's yeah. dealt the hand they're dealt, and so you either take it and let it affect you in a negative way or you use it for fuel, you know, yeah. to power you and persevere. Yeah. So kind of um, ask uh, from a selfish standpoint with my two kids, you know, I want to come to them and tell them, look, you, you need to follow, you, you need to look at Michael Engel and kind of his, this quote, and his approach, resilience, all that. I think you're a great example to entrepreneurs everywhere. And, you know, for me personally, even just lessons for my own kids and, and, kind of growing them and cultivating them. 
It's really cool stuff. So, Michael, let's talk more about now um, a couple of your businesses. You know, tell me more about. You know, let's let's dig into Ready Set Pour. Uh, what are some of the key differentiators with Ready Set Pour? I think um, a concrete business, right? I believe you've done just about anything you can related to concrete. But what are what are some of those key differentiators you've developed for the company? Sure. So I wanted to get and capture more of the market in the construction space. I knew concrete, so I really had wrote a business plan to go up and start two actual batch plants. And it was about a seven, eight million dollar raise. And I went to my first pitch and they liked the idea, but it was too much money. So that night I went home and I said, okay, you know what? Like, I'm going to take that meeting and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to have to figure out how to, you know, I could have went to the second meeting or the third meeting or figured it out. But at that point in time, I said, okay, you know what? I learned my lesson from my previous um, company and I didn't want to wait and I didn't want to drag it out. So I came up with the concept of a virtual batch plant. And so the same principle as, as hotels.com that sells and books the most hotel rooms but doesn't own a one. Same mm-hmm. with Uber. Right. Has the most taxi cabs but doesn't own the car and the most taxi drivers but doesn't have anybody on payroll. So I created this virtual batch plant idea. And so spent the next 30 days formulating the business plan and took it to market, went and pitched it, and uh, it actually worked on the first first try and so it's something I really believe in and I know like the back of my hand and so technology is changing the way things are done is um, accelerating at a very fast pace and so as long as I can put my experience with the concrete industry and the need for that uh, and couple that and partner that with technology and innovation I think I have a pretty good recipe for some success and so we are basically connecting contractors and suppliers in the best way possible. It's fast, it's easy, it's quick, it's through an app. Um, everybody's moving towards that technology. So we make it Dr. Seuss easy yeah. for you to find any batch plant in the U.S. Um, and hopefully we'll expand that out. But we have to create value, and there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. But we create value in really key um, strategic ways. Concrete isn't something that is like framing. If I screw up a window and I do this four by six instead of six by four, I can fix that tomorrow for a few two by fours, right? Right. But concrete, once it's loaded into that truck, you've got 90 minutes to pour that out and it's got to be finished correctly. It's got to be the right temperature. It has to be placed at the right elevation. It's There's so many moving parts to that that you can't screw it up. And so we do a horrible job of you know, orchestrating that today because we don't implement the technology that everyone else has. And so that's what we want to do. We want to implement the right technology that makes that easy, that makes um, it less risky and more profitable for everybody. So That's great. And then with Clean Sleep, it's a device, a, a machine you developed on your own. I believe it took you about four years or so to really do the research and develop it, development on it. You put a mattress through it, it cleans everything. I mean, it kills all the bugs. It kills all the germs. It cleans everything out. Um, really wonderful business idea. You went to Shark Tank. What's that experience been like post Shark Tank? Yeah, so uh, I own no Shark Tank.com. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. 
I think that again, I think it's my ability to to take lessons learned and do the most with them. So we didn't um, negotiate a deal on the show. Um, I was in the tank for a very long time and got offered a fifth of what I was asking, a third of what I was asking, and yeah. at the end of the day, didn't do a deal. But it created um, some credibility. It created definite, you know, market exposure. And good wow factor. I mean, Shark Tank, man. Awesome. Not everybody it's, gets on there. Exactly. And so, um, you know, it was just another obstacle, another challenge for me to make it on that show and figure it out. And so, you know, my buddy Jeff Watson is the one that sent the email out to him. And oh, he ended great. up getting a hold of us. And you know, I just saw it all the way through. But post Shark Tank, yeah, even if there's no deal, you get the exposure, right? So emails coming in, phone calls coming in, opportunities from from everywhere. And so a little bit of it is trying to decipher that, right? The tire kickers from people that actually can help you or want to buy from you or you want to partner with um, versus, you know, everything else. And so we were really early when we went on that show. And so we weren't ready for all of that. But the journey post Shark Tank has been amazing. We're in Dubai, we're in Qatar, we're about to be in Kuwait, we're in Vancouver, we're in Edmonton, wow. Alberta, Canada, about to be in Toronto. Um, and we've got several locations here in, in the U.S. And so it was an amazing experience. And, you know, I couldn't put a price on what that was worth to us. Do you stay in touch with Mr. Wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> no. So as part of that show, you don't get to go shake hands and do all that and okay. connect and, and talk to, to the sharks. You're in there for your pitch and then they escort you out and yeah. um i think if you do a deal with them then there's probably some amount of conversation and communication but with the companies that don't do a deal there's typically no no communication or anything so got it, got it. so i want to be my own shark one day there you I go be just like those guys so i tried to let the producers let me drag out a chair that looked just like <laughs> theirs and sit down but yeah I, I think it's just a matter of time really and then you have to figure out, do you want to offer, you know, equity or do you want to offer everybody some kind of deal like, you know, Kevin O'Leary does? Yeah, figure out your The residual your and shtick. the royalty. And yeah, that's right. Um, and then slumber, that that feels, and correct me if I'm off here, but it's it's a bit of an offshoot of everything you've been through with clean, with clean sleep, right? Right, yeah. So Ready, Set, Pour is kind of an offshoot from quick set concrete right. and slumber is kind of a, an ancillary or an offshoot to mm-hmm. clean sleep. Yeah. So um, because of that experience and, and having access to that technology or, or those products, I was able to start this other deal. And so slumber is exactly that. We utilize the clean sleep technology to sanitize and sterilize the that. product. Okay. With slumber, you, you take these bed in the box companies where, um, like you said, the people have bought the mattresses, they've slept on them, they don't love them, they want to send them back. You found a, a, a really, um, I mean, it's so much ingenuity here of just saying, hey, I can go pick this up for you, do the clean sleep um, process, get it clean sleep certified, and then what do you do with them from there? So based on the consumer, um, we, you know, clean sleep certified put a new cover on it. Some of them require a commercial or a medical grade cover. Um, and some of them we can send out just like that. So depending on the, the end user, which we focus on the commercial yeah. um, end users because 
you may not want to purchase a mattress that's been clean sleep certified and recycled, even if it has mm-hmm. a new cover on it. But for the transient market, like hotels, senior living facilities, student housing, um, all of those other opportunities, I mean, you're sleeping on somebody else's mattress right. day two. So even if there's a brand new mattress put into that hotel, if you're the second person sleeping on it, it's a used mattress. Yeah. And so that's the market that we're going after, and that's who we're focusing on. And what I love about it, too, I mean, all those um, customers you listed off, I get the sense oftentimes those beds aren't very comfortable to begin with. Right. So in those facilities, they're buying in bulk. They're buying in huge numbers and millions and millions of dollars, right? And so they're getting a good deal on something that is – if they're paying three hundred dollars for it, it's because it's probably only worth three hundred dollars, right? They're not mm-hmm. paying three hundred and it's worth a thousand. We created that opportunity, and so yeah, we can offer somebody for the same price point something that is, you know, got a lot more quality, a lot more comfort, and a brand that that goes with that. So yeah. you can't really advertise, you know, a. Uh, lower end commercial grade mattress there's no value in marketing that no but there's a lot of value in in what we can offer yeah yeah so i appreciate you going through the the walk through those companies i as i hear about them i imagine you've gone down this journey of kind of identifying some of your strengths and weaknesses you know where your skill set lies what would you say are some of your strengths what are your weaknesses and how do you go about kind of curing those weaknesses if you will Sure. So as far as strengths, I have the ability to retain all of the things that I, you know, did right and all the things that I did wrong. And I play to those, you know, I realized in the last two years that I love living in the creative space and the R&D space. If I can build something, make something work, come up with a contraption or a widget, um, I'm really good at that. Um I am also, you know, definitely good at putting a business plan together and a pitch deck. I've done that. I can pitch, you know, I wasn't great at those things before, but after going on Shark Tank, you can pretty much pitch to anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and that set of tools in that toolbox has grown. And so I can run a skid steer out in the field and move dirt just as well as I can navigate through QuickBooks and, and put a P&L together. Yep. And so... I only focus on what I like to do, and that's, there's nothing wrong with saying that or yeah. admitting that. No. Um, I'm not going to coddle my idea or the business to the point where it fails because, you know, I have too much control over it. And so I've been trying to get better at that. And that's the other thing, too. I've tried to not be the elephant in the room, try and listen more, um, speak less. And it's tough, and yeah. I'm, not, I'm not perfect at it, but I... Um, I'm really good at identifying the areas in a business that I'm not good at and supplementing those and filling those gaps with the right team or the right company mm-hmm. to help me get there. I think, too, you have a, an incredible strength of just being able to let go right, and trust that team. I think I, I go into a number of different companies, try to turn them around or help them grow, and oftentimes one of the key themes I come across is that you've got a CEO that's just way too far into the weeds. They're just not ready to let go and trust and just step away a little bit and focus on strategy and other growth opportunities. So I'd outline that as a a huge strength of yours. Absolutely. Sure. And so 
I'll put it in a scenario or a context that you would probably relate to. And so it's like you drop your son off at school and he's there for six and a half, seven hours. And so the day of him at school is completely different with the guidance of his teacher, teachers and students, peers, and the principal versus um, if you were there with him all day long, right? right How many right. times would you tell him no or say, don't do this or get over all here? Day or long, pay? Yeah. Okay, it's but terrible. at the end of the day, you pick him up and, and everything's okay, right? He right. probably hopefully didn't pull the fire alarm <laughs> and get the police called or, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And so even though it didn't go exactly the way you would have wanted it to go, yeah. he's progressing, he's learning, um, and at the end of the day, you have to realize, like, you can't control everything. And if you stressed out about that, you know, what's he doing right now? What class is he in? Is he eating the right things for lunch? Did he steal some right. kid's lunch, right? Yeah. Like, if you worried about all of those things, on top of everything else you've got going on, you wouldn't be very productive. So. That's right. Now, I love that analogy. Good one. You nailed it right there. So speaking of kids, you have a role as a board member over at the Children's Advocacy Center. Can you tell us more about the organization and why it holds such a special place for you? Sure. So, um, you know, growing up, I needed something like that. Um, I think that everyone has a purpose in life. And so you can't just go through life living and not helping and not having a purpose. I mean, no one that I know has a job that just works during a paycheck. And so you become a product of your environment. Right. And so if I have the ability and the capability to give back and help an organization that um, helps healing and guiding kids and letting them be there, you know, live their best life, then I'm called to do that and I need to do that. And so I'm stretched really thin with everything else I have going on, but that's still very important to me. The Children's Advocacy Center... um, is a facility that handles everything from the outcry of a situation, whether it's physical, mental, um, sexual abuse, and sees it all the way through past figuring out what happened, um, analyzing the situation, the situation at home, at school, um, supporting them both monetarily and emotionally, um, but also their families, you know, when yeah. an incident or an issue happens, it's not just that kid that's affected. Typically they have brothers and sisters. There's other family members involved. So they help holistically. And so our conviction rate goes up by nine times when we see a child go through our facility versus just deal with the police or CPS. And so yeah. it's very, very efficient, very, very effective. And, you know, the staff there do what they do because they're passionate about it. It ain't because, mm-hmm. you know, of the paycheck. And it's rough and it's nasty and it's um, grueling, but they do it every day with a smile on their face. And so, um, you know, I definitely can't give them enough um, praise for doing what they do. Um, but it's important that these kids get get the help that they need so they can go live the rest of their life, hopefully, right. um, you know, as best as possible after the situation or the scenario of what, what's happened to them. And so 
I sit on the board, which helps raise money, you know, review financials, um, you know, help them with running the business because they're there to heal children. They're not, you know, experienced, um, you know, financial. There's no CFOs. I mean, those are just now coming into the into place, and we've got roles for those now, but. Um, they're not there to make money or produce more widgets. They're there to heal children. And so they have to have the guidance of a board. And it's a nonprofit. So um, every dollar that we spend is is earned by donating. Mm-hmm. And, and it's tough because you can't showcase your success at the Children's Advocacy Center directly like we can showcase – our success, like with my construction company, we right. just finished the Veterans Memorial Project in the city of Carrollton. So we can take pictures of it, video, we can showcase it, we can pinpoint, you know, certain milestones and, and talk about all of those. And that's part of our success story. We can't talk about Jane Doe or John Doe and what happened to them and how they've healed. And so it's tough yeah. to show the success in detail, but yet ask for money. And so we have to do that and creatively and, and there's a different, you know, approach to that. So right. I love, again, cause I'm thinking you have to think outside the box right, and yeah. I love living in that space. So I um, help them out every chance I get. That's great. So how could a listener get more involved with the children's advocacy center? Sure. So we have a website, CAC, um, that you can, you can Google Children's Advocacy Center, Denton yeah. County, and it'll pull up the information. We're always doing events. Um, we do the back-to-school drives. We do the toy drives. Um, there's a lot of events that you can volunteer at. Our centers are growing. We've got one in Louisville and one in Denton now. Okay. And, you know, we've probably almost doubled our staff, and so we've doubled the need for volunteers. And the expenses, right? So. Yeah. Um, we have the circle of healing and, um, it's something that you can donate $5 a month that you wouldn't even notice out of your, you know, paycheck or out of your bank account to help those children in need. And so you can give back both monetarily or with your time. Sometimes it's just networking, right? Like you have, um, somebody that works for a company that they love to give back and that's part of their mission or their values. And so just making the introduction for us to call on them and help, you know, figure out what the opportunity is there. You know, we, we invite, even if it's just suggestions or ideas. Yeah, that goes a long way. I'm, I'm involved with social venture partners and when we help nonprofits, you know, I think we undervalue the power of the network, you know, just connecting them to people that can solve particular problems they may be facing at that time. So it goes a long way, but, uh, yeah, highly encourage everybody out there, check out their website, um, as, Michael noted, volunteer your time, volunteer, um, you know, donate your money, and really put it toward a, a really uh, valid cause, helping helping these children out. So, Michael, let's let's kind of um, switch gears a bit. Let's get into what I call the lightning round. Um, we'll try right. to go quickly. <laughs> There's a I, I envision in the future some kind of sound effect when I say lightning round. <laughs> so, We'll get through that one or in day. In my case, but... like sirens. Yeah, because I get pulled over a lot. Like, yeah, that's my yeah. So usually, like, if I'm a little bit nervous when I'm about to do a speaking event or whatever, um, I like to start off kind of breaking the ice. So I'll tell you one weird fact and then one bad habit. Okay, and it's always you get pulled over a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I have another saying, and and 
that's there's only one way to get ahead in life, and that's to haul ass. There you go. Connects that yeah. if you need to, but yeah, that's just it, right? I mean, we're only given so much time. You can't manufacture more time, so it's gonna right. get there faster. Haul so, ass, pay the tickets, right, move yeah. on. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so lightning round. What do you wish you had known when you started your career or your journey in entrepreneurship? Um, probably one of the most important things that I've learned is that perfection is a moving target. Mm-hmm. And um, the second largest lesson I've learned is um, borrow money and raise money when you don't need it. Yeah. Because by the time you do you don't look good on paper and it's, it's tougher. And so, um, you know, while as an entrepreneur, you take all those risks and leaps, um, down that journey and down that path without having everything figured out. Um, I wish I would have known a little bit better, um, about financing and, and, and figuring out how to, you know, have the right capitalization to start Mm -hmm. something. Got it. Now that's good advice. (laughs) Is there something you're learning about right now in particular? Anything uh, worth sharing? Um, I'm learning about everything. Everything. Yeah, everything. Google. Um, yeah. <laughs> AI the is really cool. Tool. Yeah. Um, I love AI. I, I'm, I really want to learn about podcasting, and I really okay. want to learn about um, utilizing social media. Um, we're living in a different world now. you got to be okay yep. with taking selfies all the time and talking to <laughs> You know, to everybody right. about what you're doing and showcasing that, and it's tough to. Yeah, that's to hard be that for person. me. Hard yeah. for me. It takes a lot out of me to do that. I'm not a selfie taker. I'm not a self promoter. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's time to evolve a bit. I'm with you there. What's your coffee of choice? So I'm not a big coffee drinker. Yeah. But I like the coffee that really doesn't taste like coffee. So. Yeah. Coffee with uh, a little bit of honey and some cream in it is... That'll work? Yeah, it'll work. What about adult beverage of choice? Uh, seven and seven with lime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> my grandfather, um, he's the one, you know, I lived with my grandmother my grandfather when I ran away and stayed with him for part of my high school years. And I remember grandpa called me. He's like, hey, mijo, I, uh, I'm over here at this happy hour and... Uh, yeah. I don't know that I can make it home, so I need to come pick me up. So, But he was always drinking uh, 7 and 7, and so seven it's one of those seven. acquired tastes. It's not an expensive whiskey, but yeah. it just tastes like candy to me. Runs in the family. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, how about are you a morning person or a night person or a 24-7 person? I'm, yeah, I'm both. I'm yeah. both. Um, you know, I could go to bed early if I wanted to go to bed early, and I could sleep in if I wanted to sleep in, but I just typically find myself – um, at night, trying to have a little bit of me time, which me time is like doing research and trying to learn. Yeah. You know, I got to stay up with current events because those things matter. But I also, I love to learn. And yeah. So um, I do that. And then in the mornings, I spend probably the first hour trying to just plan my day and as best I can. Right. right. Yeah. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'd say definitely now I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. So you've evolved a bit. I have. Yeah. yeah. So just kind of the nature of the work you're doing, having to get out more. Yeah, yeah, you have to, right? My wife says I'm an extroverted introvert. So I can, I'm, at my core, I'm an introvert, but now and then I can flip a switch and be sociable. Yeah. And be, <laughs> I think that's a great way to describe me. Well, and I think that that's, that's important, right? You have to be able to pivot 
Right. And so that's what you do, right? You pivot yeah. in any scenario, in any situation, you pivot. That's right. We all do that. Yeah. And what do you look forward to most each weekend? Right now, I've been working on my house. So I've been living in a one-bedroom house for nine years. Yeah. Because that's, I built what I could afford and what I needed. Yeah. And so now I'm finally, like, working on finishing the rest of my house. So That's cool. Congrats. Yeah, I spend a little bit of time on that and car, my passion's cars. So That's right. Cars. That's right. Um, have you, I think we, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but the cars and coffee, have you made your way to that before? Yeah, I've been to that a few times. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Pretty yeah. cool. So I've been fortunate that I've gotten up early enough a couple of times to, yeah. to take my car in. But. Yeah, this is a good reminder. I've been wanting to check that out. I might yeah. go uh, here soon. They moved it to, I think, Lava Cantina over there off 121 in the colony. Instead oh, okay. of at the BMW dealership. I don't know why. But well, that should yeah. be a fun place then. Yeah. Fun to check out. Cool. So, Michael, you have survived the lightning round. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for making the time to, to join the show, sharing such intimate knowledge and, and kind of your approach and everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Michael, for that. And I can't. I'd be remiss in saying, you know, um, hey, Jonathan King, thank you so much for making yeah. the introduction. Jonathan King, COO over at BT Furnishings. Um, good friend of mine last couple of years. I think you know him through Vistage? Yeah, Another? so I met him through, I'm a part of Vistage, which is an amazing organization, you know. Me too. Um, they're our boss, right? They're who hold us accountable. And yeah. You, you always got to have that. So, um, but it's been a great resource. So yeah, he's helped us out on the consulting side of things and helped us with some process improvements and things like that. Yeah, he's a sharp process guy. Yeah. So he's made several introductions and this is probably yeah, one of the likewise. best ones. Thanks all right. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Thanks so much, Michael. And thank you all for listening to the Louder Co. Dallas-based innovators podcast. I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.